0: I think this uh, learning that we engage with here, this practice, is uh, in its heart really experiential. Really experiential. Um, So for me I think it's often a way of letting the more simple truths uh, sink in more deeply. It's not necessarily uh, an intellectually difficult learning. Certainly... Uh, some aspects of uh, you know, Buddhist studies if you look into that can become quite intellectually challenging but I think at its heart this is um, quite a simple thing letting those simple truths think in more deeply so for instance you know, I don't think it's really news to us that things are impermanent that things change it's not news to us that one day we will die it's not news to us that you know sometimes things don't go our way or life has its ups and downs and yet i think what we're doing here is remembering these truths more and more deeply it's like we're really letting them sink into our being so we so we live from them so it's not so much just a kind of intellectual understanding but something that really sinks deeply into the being and uh, so when I give these talks, I very much see that as a, as a kind of uh, a series of reminders, really. Yeah, so it's almost like another meditation. We bring these things to mind again and again and again. And like with the breath, the way that we wander off and forget, and can be quite forgetful, we just keep coming back, keep coming back to these simple truths. So it also means that one of these talks isn't really a process of giving information. It's not, here's the stuff and I give it to you. And I think in many ways, as I was saying, the learning that we're doing here is, for each of us, very individual. There's an individual process that we're all going through. So uh, the talk today is kind of offered in that spirit of uh, encouraging our own investigation, encouraging our own... Journey with all of this. And so uh, I thought tonight that I'd talk a little about the hindrances to meditation, some of the obstacles that can appear to be around. Um, and this is on the basis that having been here for a couple of days, hopefully we've got some experience of these. Uh, so there is already that kind of uh, experiential sense, it's not just uh, a sort of theory. So if I tell you that sometimes in meditation you find yourself wanting something, dreaming of something different, something else, something better, or other times you're just full of not wanting, you don't want the pain in the knee or the repetitive thought or the uh, pain in the back or the the noise from the neighbor or whatever it is, or the times when you feel sleepy or the times when you feel restless or the times when you're just wondering whether this is for you, whether it's the right place, the right time, whether you've got the right mind or the right body to do this. So these are the kind of things that we see going through our hearts and minds when we come and practice like this. And to me, it's a wonderfully inspiring thing, as strange as it may sound, wonderfully inspiring to know that this teaching on the hindrances, and I've briefly mentioned those five there, and I'll go through them in more detail, is roughly two and a half thousand years old. Now I find that really inspiring, that people in a very different time, people in a very different place, had minds that wandered, had minds that find themselves grasping, wanting something different, had times when they're full of irritation or aversion or uh, you know, boredom, times when they felt restless, times when they felt sleepy. Because what this does is begins to take the story of me or you out of the picture. And I think this is a really key thing about working with these patterns. You know, not so much seeing them as this is a personal fault, this is part of my personality that I need to fix or get rid of, or this goes back to my particular upbringing that I'm like this. Uh, and if I can only work long enough, you know, I'll kind of chisel away at this broken being called me and somehow, hopefully sometime in the future, you know, can kind of fix myself. And actually to see these things in very different ways, these are patterns in the human mind. Patterns in the human mind. And I think these days we know very much how we're shaped by culture, how we're shaped by the time that we live in. We know that very strongly, that conditioning is there. And yet, in a very different time, in a very different place, these were the patterns that were around. You know? So as I um, reflect on these uh, these hindrances, I think it's very helpful to see right from the start that there's something also here about what we call self-view. That's part of this. That's self-view. Yeah? It's a very uh, important teaching that when we relate to these things or relate to any patterns, thoughts, feelings, patterns in the body as me or mine or myself, that's... Uh, really um, compounds and consolidates whatever particular difficulty or obstacle is there makes it more real, makes it more solid and we can feel so much more stuck one of my teachers said without self-view, the hindrances are just winds just winds like the weather that comes and goes we can begin to see these patterns like that it's very, very liberating So both to say, yeah, these have been around in different times, in different places, these are not personal. It's really about normalizing this, normalizing this experience. It's one of the reasons why we have these group meetings. And um, you know, those of you who have had them already, you can see it's, it's nice to know, oh, that's going on for you too. <laughs> oh, and my mind's doing that. And oh, yeah, that's happened for me. So it begins to, we begin to take these things so much less personally. When it's like that, in the Buddhist tradition, these can sometimes be personified in the figure of Mara. So again, those some of you may be familiar with this. But Buddha, the Buddha has his uh, kind of discussions and struggles and ongoing kind of dialogue with Mara, and. uh, you know, we may think, oh, well, that's, that's a rather kind of old-fashioned way to do it, and we, you know, we're too sophisticated now to believe in demons and these beings that come to trick us and you know, sort of launch their armies against us. You know, we don't think in that way anymore. But actually, it's a very useful way to begin to see that in a more impersonal sense. Oh, that's Mara again. You know, that's Mara doing his trick. You know, again, rather than this is something that's really, really got me. And the Buddha says, it's Mara, when the Buddha knows me, he says, I know you, Mara. I know you, Mara. So it's uh, perhaps something we can see as inspiring as we work with these so-called obstacles or hindrances. We can begin to get to a place where I know you. I know this pattern. I can recognize this. And when we recognize it, we're not so governed by it. It's a key thing. When we recognize it, we're not so governed by it. So I'll begin to uh, explore some of these in uh, a little bit more depth. These five traditional hindrances that are identified. Um, and the first is uh, seen as sense desire. A sense of craving, of wanting. Yeah? It can be a sense of wanting something else, wanting something different, wanting something better, wanting something more. It's basically a feeling that there's, there's some absence here. You can feel that. So, I don't know what you've noticed in these two days uh, on retreat, whether you find your mind going to different things sometimes. See, I'm sitting here with the breath, breathing in, breathing out. And then, you know, maybe there's this thought of the of holiday. I'd really love to be there. I'd love to be in the south of France. And yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, of course it can be very common and you know, for many of us it can be a particular food. You know, one of the renunciations of coming here is that we, we don't really get to pick our food very much. I mean you've got the simple diet or the regular diet, that's about it. And we live in a world full of choice. You, know, you go into a supermarket, so many things you can have. So you may find yourself you know, thinking, oh, if only I could have that particular food, that particular chocolate, that particular... I don't know if I'm... Uh, Feeling mischievous, I might try and uh, ins- you know, kind of inspire that in you now. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Maltesers or milk tray or something. Like that. I don't know if you're mm. <laughs> working for any of you. So, uh, whatever your particular thing is, I remember my team once actually I was talking about a particular olives that came to mind. <laughs> that she was there, you know, found herself thinking, and some kind soul brought them to her the next day. Which is, <laughs> it was wonderful. Mm. So we can find ourselves wanting something. And we can do it with just about anything. We really can do this with anything. It can be, you know, I want more money, I want a different house, I want a different car, I want a different partner, I want a different job, I want a different body. I mean, literally, just about anything. A different collection of spiritual experiences... But the similar thing is this sense of, of I want, I want, I want and this phrase that uh, we've already mentioned but this phrase if only, if only and that's the key, that's the story that sense desire tells us if only I had this, if only I had that then everything would be okay. Yeah? So it's saying this sense of I know you Mara what can we sort of pick up on that I know you Mara is beginning to disbelieve and creatively disbelieve that story of if only you know how many times do we have to do that where that kind of pattern comes up oh if only I'll okay, get this uh, and then we get it and then it's you know it's kind of nice for a bit and then it sort of fades and then the whole thing starts again the whole thing starts again So as you may well know these teachings are, Often associate with this sense of a, of a birth, a, uh, a death, and a rebirth, going round and round and round. And this can be interpreted in different ways, but we can certainly see that on one level in our own minds. You know, I take birth in that idea. Ah, oh, this job is going to really do it for me, and I've got the job, and I'm celebrating, and yeah, isn't it fantastic? And then, you know, a few days, it's, I'm enjoying it, and then you know a person from accounts is getting on my nerves and then i realize that the, you know the journey's a bit more difficult than i thought no maybe those people at the other job weren't so bad and you know and it, it's not to be pessimistic about that but just to, to see that everything it, everything that we can kind of go for has these two sides to it but when we're craving it it's not like that because it's built on a fantasy it's like just wonderful just, you know, like that new kite's just wonderful and obviously the advertisers use that, don't they? The new car and it's zooming along the road and, um, you know, there's no cars everywhere going through the lovely mountains and, you know, sort of trees everywhere and just delightful drive and things, you know they're not showing you the time when it breaks down or, you know, kind of waiting in the garage you know, to, for the bad news about it or they're not showing you the sort of extra work you have to do to pay for the thing every month so craving is often built on that. It's like a fantasy. A fantasy that it's going to deliver something for me. Something permanent, something substantial, something that's going to really make it okay. Yeah. And that's the thing to begin to disbelieve, that kind of story. Um, one model for this kind of sense of craving wanting, sense design that way is um, is addiction you know, we think about that when you think about any addiction there's a feeling that the person wants the thing that they're addicted to if they get it oh, it's a little bit of relief but what that's doing is simply triggering the cycle where they want more yeah there's that kind of cyclical thing. Just another drink, that's what I need. You know, if there's somebody who's addicted to drink, that's, they feel so strongly that's what they need. And yet it just kind of perpetuates that cycle in that same way. You know? So, in this practice, there's a, there's a kind of wise disillusionment that we can go through. A wise disillusionment. When we think about that as a. Lovely word, disillusion, because we, we think of that as, you know, as a bad thing. I'm disillusioned by this, I'm disillusioned by that. But if you, you know, think about the word, it's taking away the illusion. Taking away the illusion. And it's very helpful to know, as we begin to let go of believing in sense desire, of kind of getting, you know, investing too much in that, what it can lead, uh, sorry, what it can leave is a real feeling of peace and contentment and a simple joy. Yeah, a simple joy. So it isn't that this is some kind of because occasionally it's going to sound pessimistic. You know, you get a new job, ah, oh, that'll disappoint. You get a new partner, that'll disappoint. You get a new this, that'll disappoint. You know, as if we're sort of on a big downer. You know, nothing's going to last. Everything's impermanent. You know, that kind of feeling. You know. Um but the joy or the lightness comes from realizing that it was all it's like a kind of trick. I mean this is where this thing I know you mark it's like a kind of trick of the mind that that our well being lay in that thing in the first place. That was the kind of initial delusion. So you can see that and then you can begin to touch into um, a more basic okayness. And it's wonderful to touch that, to taste that, and to begin to trust that. You know, feeling when we can feel okay for no reason. You know, I'm not okay because I've got everything together, I'm not okay because this is in place or that is in place. But a more basic resting and just a feeling of enough. feeling of enough. You can really work with this kind of wanting, sense, desire thing. And just to mention, uh, as we work with these patterns, both in meditation and in the rest of our lives, some things that really help with that. um, A sense of generosity, of being able to give, of being able to let go, of being able to offer for others. As we do that, um, that's really feeding this sense that there's enough, there's an abundance. The craving, the sense, desire is built on a feeling of lack. There's not enough, there's something missing. I need to go and find it. I need to get it. I need to fix it. But then, the generosity—there's enough. It's there, what's here is plenty. That feeling of, of uh, generosity really helps. There's uh, a sense to me of the, of the power of generosity. Happened once when I was uh, just walking in, in Nottingham, where I live, and um, past—and uh, I think I was a little bit preoccupied. That I couldn't even tell you what it was about possibly, I don't know, somebody said something at work and, you know, kind of thoughts you're perhaps familiar with these two days, something going round and round and round and why did they do this and why did they say that and da-da-da. And I saw a woman coming out of um, a laundrette and she was struggling a little bit with her bags, you know, two or three really heavy bags of laundry. And I just saw her and just in that moment I sort of looked at her and said, "Uh, you know, would you like some help? And she said, no, I'm fine. (laughs) Simple as that. You know, carry on with what we should do. And then I walked on. And what I noticed, just that simple thing, would you like some help, had really, it was so freeing from that kind of rather self-obsessed little kind of bubble of, you know, why did they say this? Why did they do that kind of thing? And just that energy to reach out. Would you like some help? Was very freeing very freeing you can see that sense of generosity can help us to undermine that feeling of our you our know, wants I've got a hold gotta kind of pull it all towards us um, another of these uh, energies or hindrances or kind of Obstacles that we can uh, see in in meditation is aversion, this kind of pushing away. Mm. And even in saying that, I'll just perhaps come back to this at the end, but just saying that again, even just holding that quite lightly, that word obstacle, hindrance, quite lightly. Because in many ways it, it can be believing in that as something really solid, a solid difficulty, some kind of real thing there that's in my way, can also be part of uh, where we struggle with them. And when we look at them and work with them, they can be quite insubstantial. Insubstantial. So, also, as I said, I'll come back to that. But are just holding that idea of a, of a hindrance or obstacle lightly. You know, it's not these big boulders in our way. So there's this sense of uh, aversion. If uh, craving is all about I want, this is all about I don't want. You know, It's like we're pushing, resisting. Uh, it can be a whole spectrum of things from feeling a little bit irritated by something or perhaps feeling a bit bored. You know, bored, Boredom is a kind of aversion. It's like, you know, I don't want, I don't want this, I'm, you know to much stronger feelings of real rage and and hatred can be a very strong thing. And uh, this really is like the opposite side of the coin. So if craving, if the sense desire is saying, if only I had this, this is saying, if only I didn't have that. If only I didn't have a pain in the knee. If only I didn't have a pain in the back. If only I didn't have to work with that person, everything would be all right. But again, it's, it's the kind of mirror image. And behind it is the belief that my well-being and peace depend upon things being just right. And all of the conditions are just right apart from that bit. And just, let's get rid of that. And everything will be okay. <laughs> One of the things I think is, is very helpful in meditation is to really smile at what goes on in our own minds, you know. You get to that place, I think, and you can feel that place. It's actually quite funny, the things the mind does, you know, the kind of um, little dances it plays. And One of the things with aversion that I've noticed sometimes is you can actually get aversion over things that haven't happened at all. (laughs) So you can imagine somebody um, is going to say something. I know I'm going to go to a meeting next week and I bet they say that. I'm really fed up that they, they're going to say that. <laughs> there's a whole thing about that, and I 'm going to tell them, and they, you know, they really shouldn't go around saying things like that, and that's awful, and you know, all this thing. And then you just think, they they haven't said this at all. This whole thing is created in the mind, this feeling of, of being averse to just an idea, averse to something that may or may not happen. Yeah you can see how again this feeling of I know you Mara I know you Mara I'm not going to get sucked into that pattern I'm not going to I'm not going to believe it yeah. so it doesn't necessarily mean that we're saying I've got to stop these things coming up at all because again that creates a certain pressure it's like oh this thought pops up and it's oh no I've lost it but no the, th- the thought comes up and that's where this little smile comes in you know, the Buddha often is Um, shown with a kind of little half smile. Just smiling. Okay, there's the mind saying that again. There's the mind getting angry about something that hasn't happened. There's the mind telling me that story. And it's just, you can just kind of, okay, there we go. Come back to the breathing. The whole thing becomes more light. The whole thing becomes more light. All kinds of things that we may feel averse to both in um, the world around us but also in our inner experience. Um, one of the things that can come up for, for many of us really are some memories. So you may find again that this uh, is something that can sometimes come up that you have these painful memories of the past um, or perhaps things that you've done or things that other people have done. Again, it's very helpful to to work with that in the sense of um, seeing what our relationship to it is in the present. It's in the present. Sometimes we can feel very bound down by or very imprisoned by what's happened in the past. But actually it's really interesting to see that the memory is something happening in the present. What's the relationship to that in the present? And so often we feel with really so many aspects of our experience that the pain or the difficulty and the struggle isn't really in the thing itself, but in the relationship to it. In the relationship to it. So these memory you know say memories that come up, can we be with them? Can we allow them to be there? Or do they immediately trigger that sense of I don't want this I can't bear this, not that? And then they can become it's just again something that comes and goes, rises and passes. It's the resistance to them that can build the complexity. Ah, not this, still. This is around. This is always going to be around. This is going to not only is this always going to be around, this is in the past, this is around now, but this is going to shape how I am in the future but no, this is just something that's just here. It's a different relationship to these things that come and go. Sometimes uh, we can feel aversion based on very, very little evidence, very small things. There, I don't certainly won't ask you to uh, say what these things are, and you know, I kind of almost feel a little bit embarrassing sometimes. But if you just reflect yourself, what's your um, responses to the other people uh, here (laughs) again, just quite naturally. Quite you know, it's just something that happens. Really, we find there's certain people that we find that we kind of like and feel quite drawn towards, and ah, there's that person again in the queue, and that's nice. And oh dear, there's that that person, and uh, you know, I'm not not quite so keen on them. And what's very good on retreat is we can see how often how arbitrary and how small these things are. I mean, we may not even know what it what it is. It may be that person looks vaguely like somebody that we've met before or had some experience with before. Um, and you can see again how these things can become quite solid, quite solid. And uh, as we've spoken about before, if you, sometimes when you hear people speak at the end of a retreat and you see how, um, how kind of mistaken some of those things can be. And we can start to soften around it, those things. Again, there's this thing about, I know you, Mara, I'm not going to believe that. All of these things tell a particular story. The aversion, when we feel it to a person, tells us a story about that person, that person is bad, they're wrong. And you can just see now, this is a reaction. This is not a truth. This is a reaction, this is a perception on the basis of that. And we don't have to believe it. Sometimes, too, we can feel very sleepy. Many people have uh, spoken about that. Um, And in terms of uh, a hindrance, I think it's important to kind of separate two things, really. One is a sort of genuine tiredness. Many of us have been working with that. We're busy, perhaps running on adrenaline a lot of the time, um, kind of trying to get everything done, and then obviously we're still sitting, walking, not a lot to do. (sighs) And that that kind of tiredness shows up and there's a, a genuine need to to rest and recover. It's also interesting to, to distinguish that to, from something that's perhaps a bit more subtle, which is when the mind just sort of tunes out, it kind of drifts off uh, because there's nothing exciting. Um, and this is something worth exploring and, and working with. I mean, we... We live in a culture that's so, so stimulating. Again, I, you know, I don't know where you live. You all live in, in different places. I mean, I live in a city, particularly the case, perhaps less so in the, the countryside, but it's just so much going on. You know, you pay attention to how uh, TV or films are put together. Uh, I've got a kind of amateur interest in these kind of things, and you see that they, they cut the shot immediately see somebody's interviewed they don't just show them interviewing uh, interviewing for a bit and then cut to the interviewer and cut to the wide shot the two people together and then cut to their hands and then they sometimes show you their feet for some reason <laughs> all sorts of things but it's like a culture that's built on uh, uh, kind of not being able to sustain attention and we need something quick and different and new and better and uh, you know adverts, these TV adverts, only 30 seconds long but the number of images and messages coming for us so it's not surprising that when we switch all of that off as we've done here and we come into a room like this which to me in many ways I wouldn't uh, say it too strongly but in many ways is, is delightfully neutral I don't know how you find it and again different people find it in different ways but you know this carpet is it's just kind of there to me i don't know how, i don't know how you may have different responses to it and uh, you know the walls are plain and it's it's just simple it's simple so when there's something a bit more neutral and the breath again for many of us not all of us but for many of us the breath can be quite neutral it's not exciting you know it's not shouting look at me you know so when there's something more neutral, then this kind of sleepiness or this sloth can can creep in. Oh, there's nothing exciting. I'm going to kind of tune out. Um, and this is an interesting place to explore. Um, again, it, that it's worth bearing in mind whether something very, very peaceful, very peaceful and still, is actually quite close to neutrality. Yeah. So noticing when things are more neutral, is there that feeling, oh there's not a lot going on, I'm just gonna drift off to sleep. Or can I be there with that? Can I be really bright and awake in the stillness? And just rest in that. When the the, the mind's not it's not jumping about, it doesn't want this or get rid of it, but just rest in that. Just trying to stay with that. Rather than just kind of drifting off. Mm. As we were practicing uh, Practicing this afternoon with the sounds, it's like, you know, what happens when the sounds seem to die down a little bit? Can we just rest in that silence? Just rest there. You can also at times feel these... Uh, patterns of restlessness, sometimes called restlessness and remorse. And this is like the energy is very bubbly. We can't settle. We're kind of jumping from one thing to the next. You know, the body can't settle, the mind can't settle. With many of these uh, hindrances, obstacles, a very useful thing is to do the opposite. To do the opposite of what it says, so it's telling you a particular story. So you know, craving is telling you uh, you need something; you've got to go out and get it. Aversion is telling you i have got to get rid of something. Uh, you know, sleepiness is telling you drift off, go to sleep, and restlessness is saying you've got to keep moving, got to keep shifting, got to keep looking for something else. Um, and so, quite a strong um, at times. A, it's like a, a determination just to be still. It can really help with with restlessness um, somebody in one of the groups today said uh, something I think very important actually which was that um, we've been talking about this sense of, of kindness and practicing with kindness and, um, and being gentle to ourselves throughout this process um, but also one thing that goes with that is a, is a healthy sense of discipline a healthy sense of discipline and that these two really go together. So, with restlessness, we may think, again, if we interpret kindness as to mean or drifting into a kind of indulgence, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to be kind to myself, so I'll just keep moving. Or oh, I'm going to be kind to myself, too restless to sit today, I'll leave it till tomorrow. Um, there, is, there is a kind of, I don't know, I'm not quite sure whether this is the right phrase, but like a kind of inner tough love where you say, yeah, no, hang on, I'm going to be still here. I'm going to be still. So that kindness can often mean um, not just being governed by all of these patterns, yeah, not being governed by them, but being able to be to be firm in the face of them. Again, sometimes this uh, restlessness and things can be associated with something we've done in the past. Um, this is also something that is very useful to explore in meditation if you, if you get feelings of, of guilt arising and there's a restlessness around that. Just to see how this process is um, kind of created and built in the present. Um, I mean, wh- well, this kind of perspective I find very helpful if you think of the, the precepts that we've uh, explored at the beginning of the retreat. In a sense of living with harmlessness and uh, kind of generosity, non grasping, being uh, simple, content, respectful, being honest. I don't know about you, I'd be interested to know. You can perhaps tell me in private, but if any of you have kind of lived all your life perfectly in this way, I'd be very interested to know. But you know, my sense is that that's not what we've done. You know, and if you look at everybody, you know, we've all had times when we've done things that perhaps we regret, and then we've done things that we've, you know, been really wholesome and skillful and healthy, and then other times when we've been caught in certain patterns and, you know, done things that have perhaps harmed ourselves and others. So, in that way, we're, we're kind of all in it together in that way. We're all in it together. But how much there can be this sense of self created around our ethics or uh, or morals, or morality, that can feel, that can make something quite kind of solid. So again, that can feed a, a restlessness. If you sort of, yeah, in you know, meditation, you remember doing something that you now perhaps regret five years ago. But just see, does that become, what's the process where that becomes some kind of judgment, that kind of fixed sense of, I am... A, a bad person or I've done something really bad. It feels heavy and constricted and, you know, rather than just that more open sense of, you know, yeah. Next time I'll be more skillful, I can learn from that. I can, you know, have intentions not to react that way. But again, this sense of restlessness can be built on when we have a very fixed view of ourselves. Hmm. I can soften with that. Sometimes in meditation, we can also have this sense of doubt. Um, and doubt is a wonderful word; it actually, can mean all kinds of things, and there. Uh, Stephen uh, Batchelor Martin's uh, husband has written a book called The Faith to Doubt, which is certainly for me is a very uh, important, inspiring book and a really wonderful thing to explore. And uh, one of the kind of distinctions that we can make is between what we might call a great doubt, you know, a great doubt. So, and, and this kind of more... So the insidious thing of doubt when it comes up as a hindrance. But this kind of great doubt is a sense of really not knowing. You know, what's it like to begin to let go of this quest for certainty, to have all of the answers? And so often you know, with religious practice, spiritual practice, how we want to see it. We can see that in the past as, as a quest for certainty. that so People want to know what happens after I die. You know, what happened? How did the world begin? How's it gonna end? What's the right way? Which religion is the right one? Which is the wrong one? And this real kind of wish to get it all certain and right and fixed. And a real this kind of great doubt can be a letting go of that that kind of craving for certain and just opening to this, this not not knowing. You know, these great questions of spirituali- spirituality. Who am I? What is this? Yeah, one that uh, I know some the philosophers there explore. Why is there anything rather than nothing? Only question. You had that. Why is there a universe at all? <laughs> Why is there anything rather than nothing? Yeah, And... Uh, these kind of questions, I you know really don't think they're the kind of thing that there's the answer, <laughs> I've got it written down. But there's a sense of, of a real deep questioning um, from the heart, and resting in that that deep not knowing that's very skillful, very helpful. <laughs> Sometimes too, there, there's something quite I think quite distinct from that that great Tao um, I don't know if to call it a little Tao or not But uh, which is, is more sort of undermining as a, as a hindrance and it can be the kind of thing of well maybe this isn't the right practice for me and maybe um, I should have gone to a different centre and maybe actually Tai Chi is a bit better for me or maybe with my constitution I need to do more yoga um, or uh, Sufism looks really good and you know I should be doing that um, but it's a, it's a kind of mind that that doesn't settle, that doesn't settle. It's always looking for something different, and can be quite um, persecuted. Actually, it's kind kind of quite a persecuted state sometimes by indecisiveness, yeah. a state of mind that's persecuted by indecisiveness. You know, which is the right way? What's the right thing to do? What should I, you know, what should I do next? I can can see this sometimes in my students as well as teaching meditation I also teach in a, in a college and you know you can, you can see this students sometimes thinking you know, should I go to Sussex University or Manchester and, uh, my friends are going to Sussex and that would be really good but Manchester the course looks better the sort of mind bouncing backwards and forwards <laughs> and which one and this kind of agonizing sort of choice and uh, I, I mean I can really recognize that pattern You know, we can have it again in relation to all sorts of things. Should I stay in this relationship, or should I do something different? Should I stick with this job, or should I move to a different city? And these these decisions can become so kind of tense and fraught. Um, And I think one of the things that can feed this particular state of mind is again, there's a kind of delusion underneath it, which is that one of these things is really going to deliver. You know, it's like that, that kind of. Somehow there's this, this full split into heaven and hell. Manchester, that's going to be fantastic forever. I and mean, everything will be right and wonderful, and I'll meet the right people, and it's the right course. And, but if I do that, my goodness me, that's going to be a disaster, and my life is ruined. And, you know. So we can think, we can, you again, this uh, more perhaps uh, with more perspective, we can see I could do this. And it would have its good points and bad points, and that I can work with. And you know, I could do that, and that would have its good points and bad points, and things I can work with too. Yeah. And so that way of of seeing things can begin to release some of the the heaviness, the heaviness around that kind of indecisive state of mind that we can find. So it could be helpful to have have a sense at times of being really. Uh, you know, Really giving ourselves to something, a sense of, of committing to something that can, can say, I'm just going to be with this. And that could be for a single sitting, you could have that sense. So, if you, if you do feel this state of mind coming, okay, it may be that other times I want to explore things just for this sitting, I'm going to really give my heart to this, really give my heart. And I think we know this, don't we, in so many areas of life when we really give our heart to something, we really give our heart to something, that's when it comes alive. Yeah. When we're holding back, wondering, "Is this right? not sure did it?" And then it's, it's not so. Not so rich. but really give our heart. What does that show once revealed there? Just to finish by saying that there are very many different ways of working and responding to these uh, hindrances and obstacles when they they come around and we can perhaps explore some of those more uh, in the time we have here. Sometimes just recognizing them is very, very powerful. And I really... Like to emphasize just how powerful that is. So, for instance, if there's a a strong feeling of sense desire present, if I don't recognize it, then I act on it. It informs my perception, it informs my speech, it informs my action. I'll give you an example I walk past a shop window and then there's a new computer in there, and you know, and it's got it, a sense desire. If only I had that. And if I really believe in that, I'm in there, credit cards out computers there, taking it home. My wife saying to me, why have you bought that? You know, what's <laughs> what's going on? And the whole kind of pattern's there, but it's all happened uh, quite kind of unconsciously. Yeah, I believed in it, bought into it. But if you're there, if you recognize it, ah, oh, this is a pattern, this is a pattern. And in that moment, we're then free. Yeah, that's a real freedom. There? And of course, then the freedom... As Martin's saying, a freedom to creatively engage, to creatively respond. So I might still go in and buy it. I was saying, but there's freedom, there's choice, there's some movement there. Yeah? Or again, when um, aversion is present, if we're not if we're not aware of that, then we just believe it. You know, that person is so bad. And then we start plotting with colleagues to get rid of them. Or, you know, we just believe all the kind of thoughts and gossips and we just get caught up in a whole thing there. And just to know, this is an aversive state of mind. Again, it's free. We're not believing it because it paint, it's like a lens, it's a perspective. And if we believe in it, we can be just, run with it. But just know, this is like, this is how it looks like through the lens of aversion. Again, there's some space. And again, just to, to come back to this feeling, when we have these patterns around in meditation in life, these patterns that can seem so powerful, and when we're unaware of them, they can carry a lot of power. Yeah? How are we relating to these? Are we relating to these in terms of, this is part of my personality, this is something solid, this is something you know, really in my way? Or can we begin to see this sense of the impersonal nature, the insubstantiality of all of these things? Yeah. So often they have the power, they have the power that we give to them. Really interesting thing to explore. They have the power that we give to them. Yeah? So when we're sitting here, it's not that we're trying you to know, describe these patterns and we're saying, right, we're going to have some plan to eradicate them. None of these things are going to arise. It's about the relationship to them. Can we see the mind that wants, doesn't want, gets lost in sleepiness, drifts away? Can see the mind that gets confused by being lost in indecision, restless? And begin to know it like the Buddha. I know you, Mara know you so we can know these patterns and not be governed by them and begin to feel a kind of deeper freedom and freedom as uh, Martin was saying to creatively engage so we just sit quietly just for a couple of minutes uh, together and then after that we'll have a little time for some